Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <sighs> oh, I needed that. <laughs> I feel like Teresa now. I'm really into yoga. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name is James Evans, and nothing stops her! Not the mob! Not the government! <laughs> not nothing! It's my co-host, Ellie Dunn! <laughs> <sighs> ah. I also feel like I need a big breath out. Hmm. Doesn't it feel good? Yeah, I'm coming to you with quite a hectic household. So our next door neighbours, who we don't love. They don't love you by the sounds of it. (laughs) I'm assuming that they're not listeners to the pod. But um, our next door neighbour's dog has been howling for three days. Non-stop. What? I know. And I'm, I'm like on the verge of calling the RSPCA because they appear to have left the dog. They appear to have gone somewhere I don't think what? they're in, and they seem to have left the dog, and someone comes and checks on the dog occasionally, but the dog is outside, and because of the way our house is, the, their front door is right by our uh-huh. bit of decking, which means the dog is just permanently outside our bit, howling, and it's really setting our dog on edge, and also I then made the mistake the other day of, in quite Kim Richards fashion, climbing up and sticking my head over the wall to try and calm the dog down. And the dog was not happy. <laughs> I didn't about appreciate this. that, I'm sure. And it went from howling to like vicious barking. <laughs> and that didn't stop for like an hour. And Andy was like, Oh God, what have you done? You've made it way worse. Like we couldn't switch oh it my off. God. It was bad. But it's non-stop. And as I've just been explaining before we started recording, I'm already having quite a stressful time at the moment. I've kind of got like one eye twitching mm-hmm. and this dog howling, I really feel might be the end of me. <laughs> I think a call to RSPCA or even the police might not be a bad idea. These neighbours might be dead for all we know. They might be just laid there, dead. Oh my God, don't say that. I just think a welfare check of some sort may be in order, but you know, <laughs> none of my business. I'm not getting involved. What a lovely note to start on. I know. Hello, everyone. Oh, did you watch the new Beverly Hills episode? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Should we do a quick random first thoughts? I'm obsessed with Sutton pissing away all of her goodwill from last season in the very first episode. When <laughs> totally, she is determined to be the villain. Of it's so this good. Season. It's really become a recurring theme for her. She's determined to start each season on the worst possible note and then like slowly yeah, yeah, claw exactly. her way upwards, <laughs> only to like repeat it all over again. The, this, the contrast between Kyle like bawling her eyes out about Dorit's break in and then Sutton being like, "Well, I have fires to put out. I have the French designer to worry about." <laughs> I wasn't held a gunshot. It's just the kind of high-low tragic comedy that <laughs> yeah, exactly. that we want in Housewives. It was really, it was a really strong first episode. I thought that was great. And I tell you, what was really weak in the first episode was, you know, how at the beginning of all of these seasons, you can see all of the ladies in each of the cities at the beginning of a season, sort of scrambling to work out what the story is. Yeah, they're all like clutching at threads. Lisa Rinner turning up and being. A gog at Sutton's comment on 
Watch Out If It's Live yeah. is the most clutching at straws beginning right. of uh like she's like my mouth literally fell open and it's like yeah. <laughs> about what it's the most non thing it's so that was a bit Eileen by the way I'm very out of practice with my Beverly Hills impression I mean my mouth just fell open but oh. I also I'm obsessed with Lisa Ritter wearing sunglasses inside non-stop. I don't know who Lisa Renner thinks she is, but... She's gone on one on Instagram at the moment as well. Again, I'm not really one to follow, like, Instagram, you know, tea and everything, but she, um... Sure. Her, her and Sutton are really getting into it. I mean, it comes with the territory of running our prestigious Housewives account, yeah. but... Yeah, so that she's really been going in on Sutton at the moment because of a comment Sutton made about how Erica married for money and then accusing Sutton of doing the same. And it's just like classic Lisa Rinna of just comment after comment of, ooh, you're so angry. Ooh. Oh. oh. Touched a nerve. I really, yes, I completely. I think in a similar vein, Sutton coming in still with an axe to grind regarding Erica and then suddenly everyone moving on to the whole Dorit break-in. I think has really thrown everyone for a loop because the natural rhythm and pace of Beverly Hills is so slow. So then for them to suddenly hit the ground running with such a major event is so unlikely. Is it terrible? And am I a hollow shell of a person if, despite what happened, and even though I can logically feel incredibly sorry for Dorit, I still find her deeply annoying? Yeah, no, I think the two things can coexist but like yeah. even in her response to what happened i found her very annoying i feel like a hollow shell of a person i must admit i did chuckle ever so slightly when she came over to kyle's and then one of the dogs barked and she was like ah! <laughs> i mean it, it was a lot and they were really it felt a bit like do you ever as an actor uh, i'm gonna be really embarrassed if this is one of those things where it's like just me have you ever been really crying about something and then you have a bit of an out-of-body moment where you're like i must note how i'm doing this Okay, yeah. For future performance. It felt very that, that this terrible thing had happened. But they were like, this is so great for the show. And then they were like planting all of these TV moments or like trailer moments in the fallout from what happened. Mm-hmm. Even PK forgetting his phone. In, I, 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 this is terrible to say, but even PK forgetting his phone inside and then Dorit sitting on that bench being like having a breakdown. <laughs> yeah felt very for the show and not... Well, I think maybe... And, and don't get me wrong, I think she was very upset, but right. I, I think she didn't choose to get in the car and have it as a private moment. I would argue maybe it's after 10 plus years, it's they've sort of reached the sweet spot of something incredibly dark, but it's, it's kind of in your body. camera ready. Yeah. It's kind of like all the darkness in a way and the PTSD of the Taylor situation, but kind of slightly campier and more telegenic. Also, respect to... I've got new... I can't believe it. I've got new far respect for all these people in front of the camera because, James, today I'm in the middle of doing an Instagram takeover for the other palace. Oh, God. And literally, I got the camera out this morning. I've seen people vlog. It looks incredibly easy. I don't know how they do it. Harder than it looks, Sally. Single sentence. Mm. Not only did I look like a complete idiot walking down the street filming myself, I couldn't say a single sentence without falling over what I was saying or just looking awful or like stumbling into some terrible light. Or I don't understand how they do it. And I was thinking, God, I'd be a terrible real housewife. Because but you're a professional chatter. I'm a prof- I beg your pardon. A professional chatter. A, professional- a shatter and a chatter. <laughs> <laughs> you're a very worldly woman. 
I know, I really fell down. No, but I get it. It's the pressure. I think doing an Instagram takeover and being a best man and having to write a best man speech are like two of my worst nightmare scenarios. Mm. And thank God I'm not important enough or liked enough by anyone that I would be entrusted <laughs> yet with either of those tasks. And I want to keep it that way. <laughs> Just briefly going back to Dorit as well, I do appreciate the full-bodied reenactment that she gave when she was telling the girls mm. about the break-in. And in my head, she was just wearing like a very washed-out grey full-body suit and she had no makeup on and her hair tied back. It looked like a very stylized Evo Van Hover Greek tragedy production. And she was kind of like sure. pacing around and crouching and then huddling up and then standing and raising her arms out and then like You're so imploring right. to the gods like why this would happen to her. And I have to say, I'm going to do a Lisa Rinna Munchausen situation here. I don't necessarily believe this, but I will put it forward that I've been chatting to a friend of the podcast. I don't want to get her in trouble. Is it Macy? We'll just call her Macy N. (laughs) (laughs) And she doesn't believe that the break-in is real. Wow, that is a hot take. It's a really hot take. And I'm I'm not there yet, but she... I don't know if she thinks that it's not real, but she thinks that there's some... It's a little bit too neat, I guess, that there's like a few... Just with the fact that the kids yeah. normally sleep with her, but then that night the kids happen to not be in bed. and that Yeah, gone. I had wondered whether some of the details had been elaborated for the story. And anyway, I don't know. I don't want to get... I, I don't believe that. I don't... Down the Munchausen <laughs> rabbit hole. Sure. Don't, don't I'm just saying. Don't talk about it. I'm, not, no, I'm just saying. I just, I'm just saying. I just heard it. Yeah. <laughs> you never know, right? Yeah, I heard. Right, so should we talk about... Season seven. So I fully cried... At the footage of Teresa coming home to her kids. Mm. Yeah, it, it's powerful stuff. I was really shocked that I had such a, an emotional reaction. I, just putting aside kind of the show and all of that stuff, I found it very authentic and just really, really touching. And and I and I found everything with Joe really touching. And his, I found this a lot in season seven, Joe's relationship with his kids. For both its light and shade, both the more painful stuff between them or the butting heads with his kids but also watching this man who you know we've said so many times they're in these very archaic roles Mm -hmm. in Jersey it really must have been mad for a year for him to play both mum and dad something very moving about it and there's something also about it being him and just these like four little girls and it's got a sort of slight I feel like Greta Gerwig's gonna make a film of it Mm. at some point Completely. Him being like, my little women. (laughs) (laughs) My little girls, my little women. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And to see him play it in a kind of typical Joe Judai style, very clumsy and gaseous. But from that, there's a charm to it. And with a lot of humility, contrast it with very similar scenes, but also very overly produced scenes of Joe Gorga trying to do the same thing because Melissa's out at work and running after the kids. And, oh, what are you doing? Uh, like, where the, where's your mom? Like, who does yeah, this we're, stuff? We're going to oh, get, get on yeah. to that because uh, we have to talk about that. Like, Joe Gorga risk becoming like the villain of season seven. But you're right. It, it, it does feel the opposite. It doesn't feel overproduced and it feels really sweet. And particularly there's something about the way that when Teresa arrives home, 
there's something about it being very early in the morning and the way that when Gia comes down, it's that really bleary eyed a bit like when you get up super early for a flight or something and everyone seems a bit vulnerable that early. But also yeah. I think you can really feel the excitement and the anticipation yeah. and her waking the others up and the way it's built up on the show. I just I just found it really, I got really choked up. And Gia, yeah, Gia suddenly, it's overwhelming and it's that kind of thing of we've seen Gia grow up before our eyes yeah. and you go back to the time when she was a little girl screaming on the bed because she was going to be in Gossip Girl and now suddenly she's sort of playing mum and yeah, she is a young woman now and it's all against the backdrop of Christmas as well so it all feels very bittersweet. So again, we have those memories of all the big Manzo family gatherings and mm. all the big gatherings at the Judice household and all the warmth. And it just feels so distinct this year. And then also the pomp and ceremony and all the hoops and the hurdles that Teresa has to jump through to just to get home. It's like the president's arriving. There's like a whole yeah, yeah. entourage of people, like a convoy and paparazzi almost like running them off of the road. It was nice to go back and see the original text, if you will, because I feel like that scene of her being like, hi, and all the girls like jumping yeah. on her at the same time, it's become the Teresa table flip where they will in years to come flash back to that scene again Play and again and again. Yeah. Where when so it's just nice to see it. it. You get that yeah. build up. It is really gorgeous. Completely. And I think that's a lovely place to start. So season seven, where I've got to, my main takeaway would be, mm-hmm. I continue to find myself liking Teresa. And then just as I was like, maybe I do just like Teresa Judah, then Vermont happened. And uh-huh. for me, it was a real, like, yes, there'd been hints before that where I thought, Oh, okay, no, I remember what I didn't like. Vermont was when I I felt like I fully flipped back the other way of... You put it so well the other week where you said she's just number one for being on the wrong side of an argument. And for me, it was just that thing of really disagreeing with the content and style of the fighting. And even though Jacqueline undoubtedly has a kind of ability to spiral very very quickly and go quite like off the hook it does feel like it comes from a place of pain or from like a a want to communicate where Teresa's complete lack of accountability means she can have just like quite a callousness in fights that I find mm-hmm. really unattractive. It's like a lack of empathy. I, I really share Jacqueline's frustration. And this actually happens quite early on. I think after Jacqueline comes around to Teresa's and they have a coffee and then mm. they decide to do like a double date at Jacqueline's house. And then they immediately get into a fight in the kitchen because they're talking about the past. And I share Jacqueline's frustration that Teresa has emerged from penance, not really with a fresh perspective or a sense of accountability or atonement Mm. for her sins. But if anything, I think doubling down on that whole thing of, I only want people around me who are loyal and I want to cut the toxic people out of my life. And it's kind of like, suddenly we're back at the argument about the tabloids again. And I think that's my issue with the show during the Teresa years is that it centers itself around a woman who may have given us some fantastic television, but she's fundamentally not a very complex, drawn-out character. And if sending her to prison isn't going to change that, I don't think anything will. And I think in many ways, Teresa actually holds the show back from achieving its fullest potential because we've said before, the show at its worst is when it's this broken record of a fight, whether it be her and Jacqueline or like the Judas yeah. and the Gorgo clan or her and Kathy. And I think that is in large part because Teresa just won't let the argument 
progress or resolve itself. It's so true. And I think it's so odd how in this season you're going back to fights you cannot believe are being brought up again. And yeah. it feels like the last few years just didn't happen. Even with Melissa at the beginning, it's odd. They're talking about when they were first fighting as if they haven't come really far from them but it's like we've literally been watching you've just been in prison for a year and we've just watched you for right. years how are right. we still on strippergate but also teresa has such a double standard of she's allowed to obsess over the night on the decking or the stuff with kathy and rosie but if anyone else mentions anything from the past or tries to ask a question like jacqueline saying melissa didn't i come to you and warn you it's like there she is she's talking about the past yeah and I just can't deal with unfairness or kind of injustice. And I think it really drives me up the wall. And I think you're right. That comes not from a kind of Machiavellian thing, but I think Teresa's just not that complex. And I think no. she she just tells whatever narrative suits her in that moment. And I think it kind of cuts the tragic potential of Teresa's trajectory, sort of it cuts it off at the knees a bit. Because for a housewife who's gone through such a seismic change over the years, from this sort of dopey Italian housewife to a disgraced celebrity to a convict mm. to now a soon-to-be single mum, there's so much material to work with there. But because, and I genuinely, I don't mean this in, a, in an offensive way, but because she's not the brightest and she's not particularly eloquent, she's really incapable of articulating her own suffering and kind of has to leave it to other people to do it for her and it means that we're not really leaning into the tragedy at its fullest and giving us some really compelling television so it is like watching Electra or something except Electra comes out and rather than like doing a big speech like imploring to the gods like why <laughs> she's in this position it's just her being like yeah I, I don't know I mean I didn't do nothing but it's I'm stronger now because you know I'm, I'm doing yoga and it's the, I, I don't want to talk about the it's like maybe oh, that okay. will be in the Ivo Van Ho Electra I think that's I think there's like a really solid translation there I would love to see the real housewives do some Greek tragedy we said it before and we will say it again we'll bang this drum until the end of time there's just so exactly. much material that we could work with and it's just pure snobbery that's holding everyone back from putting on such a production for sure. I think season seven is kind of what season six should have been. I think it's kind of a really solid transitional halfway house mm. that makes it clear that a new era is on the horizon. But by bringing in Jacqueline and bringing in Dolores, who, even though she's a new housewife, she's sort of always been on the periphery and she has really solid roots with the existing cast. It I love Dolores. She's great. Yeah, I love, I think Dolores and Siggy are both really they, good they're great additions but I, like i just think dolores i also just really fancy her i think she's so hot and i think she's, she's like the friend i would want to be or certainly the friend i would want to have she's gorgeous i think she's aged like a fine wine she has like a beautiful oh. sophia loren thing going on and just this very grounded energy and the way she yeah. listens and the way but without ever feeling like she's being wishy-washy or she manages to seem like deeply loyal to everyone while staying very quiet just like quiet mm -hmm. and present and i think she's a really she plays a really important function in that role because she's i think she's a translator for teresa and siggy is in many ways a translator for jacqueline where mm. dolores and jack uh, dolores and teresa sorry you know, she, they go back a long way. You know, they're, they're both old school. They're both Italian. They're cut from the same cloth. Del Dolores has been to this part of the zoo before. Like, Dolores, she's, she's seen it all. So, like, I know my Sig, she does my Siggy, she's not been to this part of the zoo. She's in the petting zoo, but I've been to this part of the zoo. 
And so she's really good at, yeah, I guess just being a translator for Teresa, I think. And then we have Siggy, who's sort of equally mercurial and emotional as Jacqueline, but because she's new to the group and there's sort of no stakes for her, she's able to sort of translate a lot of Jacqueline's frame of mind with a very fresh pair of eyes. Yeah. And I think just Dolores joining the show, just because we have seen her in the background before, it does feel a bit like meeting a friend of a friend where you're like, oh, I've heard so much about you, but we've never met. It's so nice to finally meet you properly. Yeah, she's also just got a great dry sense of humour. That bit in Vermont when she's like, I'm just looking at which window I want to throw myself out of. (laughs) I know. And I would normally hate this and I'd find it really boring, but I just find there's something quite nice about checking with Dolores. And she's like, oh, I'm just waiting for the new cabinets. You know, I've got got new cabinets in the kitchen, you know, and... And Bill, I've got Bill to think about as well. And it's just, you know, it's just a lot going on, you know. I'm all alone. (laughs) Oh, she's great. I think Dolores is a great addition. And I think Ziggy's a great addition. I, I really, really liked her. And then I think where I'm at post Vermont, I may be finding her a little annoying and a little self-obsessed in, who does she remind me of? She's got quite like Jill Zarin vibes. She's got quite yeah. um, Heather in Salt Lake City vibes. I fi- like Heather. Oh, okay. Like she's very funny, but very emotional. And yeah, I'm I'm a bit bored of hearing about her kids, <laughs> about her kids being on their phones. Yeah, she's she's a funny one. First of all, her tagline is on repeat in my head right now, where she's like, "Some people think I'm too much. I love it. They're absolutely right." And then. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she also has hands down the best entrance of a housewife ever. It is amazing. And that that's why I loved her. Because I think at first, I mean, coming in with like the full headscarf and sunglasses to cover the facelift bandages and then drinking lobster beast through a straw. It just can't be beaten. I had a facelift. <laughs> it will. <laughs> it shall not be beaten. It's, it's so excellent. That is like one of those things where... I remember first watching it and thinking it was one of those like Shannon Bedore Dorinda medley moments of like, wow, this woman is like electric. Where did you get her? And gave the show a real shot in the arm. Like I genuinely thought there was this like glamorous babushka had joined the cast of New Jersey (laughs) and it's just fantastic. And the whole thing, of course, is so hammy and it's like done up for the cameras. Like I love it. It it is a good thing. It's like reality TV having that sweet spot that Housewives want to aim for where it's like funny television that has obviously been a bit contrived or like elaborate or exaggerated for yeah. TV. But Siggy, like she knew she was going to film today. She could have had a facelift earlier on, so it timed up better. But she just has such a natural charisma that she carries it off quite well. Whereas if Amber came in from last season, she'd be looking like a fucking mummy, like covered in bandages. She'd be in like Aviva's wheelchair that she didn't pick up (laughs) when they went on that vacation, like doing her type five on plastic surgery. You know, know? maybe that's it. I feel like Ziggy just almost set her own bar too high. I think it was such a phenomenal beginning. And and I, I generally, I've just really enjoyed her for most of the season. And then something about during the whole Vermont trip and like all of that, throwing all of the apples out of the bowl, like yeah. crying over other people arguing that it just got maybe a bit of every for me, like a bit self-indulgent and a bit It's too much. A bit a bit I'm making good TV. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm not sure it had earned it yet at that point. But I do really like Siggy and I really like them as the two new housewives. So we've got them, we've got Teresa's just come home. Obviously we have Melissa with a new um what's oh it my called? God. like a shob, like a shaggy bob. I don't think it's called a shob. 
that can't be right. It gets progressively shorter and shorter and shorter throughout the season <laughs> to the point where it's honestly going to end up looking like the hair that her co-owner of the shop has. And it's just going to be like a mental pixie cut that's bright pink. That woman is orange. The woman yeah. oh, who's yeah. her co-owner at the shop is fluorescent orange. And every time Melissa's like, oh, I'm so jealous of your tan. I'm like, don't be. Absolutely don't be. Don't be. And also it's really easy to get. It's not natural. Like just exactly. <laughs> go and get it sprayed on. You can't be that jealous. Like go pick up an orange highlighter and just mm-hmm. fill in the cracks. So Melissa's fairly boring storyline. She's started... Um, as the housewife it's like they all inevitably honestly either go to jail or start a clothes shop it's yes it's just or a clothing line. there is no in between there, there is no are, in between there is no in between <laughs> um so she started one called envy and we get this really strange storyline in season seven that melissa's on this whole like working woman rampage of oh god i just want to be an inspiration to my kids and what i don't know what happened to the music career i'm like that was work why did we drop like that's but no apparently owning a clothes shop like with three other people is anyway it's all like joe's built this clothes shop for her and things like this and we do get this strange kind of almost lucille boyle lucille Lucille Ball like farcicals turned up to like 12 Joe and the kids show where it's all just Joe being like oh what are you doing oh marona mia oh you you, you kids I cannot do you you anything (laughs) just uh, fully turning into his father the dog in the sink and then like the girl being like ah where's it's just like the whole thing and it's just like the dog's like shitting in the house and that it's just it's it literally needs like right it's very benny hill yeah but then what's weird is it has this flip side which is this quite you know how being the ricardos or everybody loves the ricardos or whatever the show that's just been on and they everyone kept joking about how funny it was that they made a tv series about the funniest woman alive and it has no jokes in it at all it's just like incredibly serious but it feels like there is this flip side which is this quite dark undercurrent of Joe Gorgert not being able to deal with the change in structure of the idea of Melissa not fulfilling her wifely duties and like how emasculated like constantly talking about how emasculated he is by the fact that he's just like dropped the kids off at school or right that he's like cooking pasta with them and it actually hits certain points where it's fucking rude what he says. Well, it's, it's kind of like, where is this coming from? Because your wife has had a job for the last few years. Exactly. She's been off filming the show. Like, this isn't the first time you've ever cooked dinner for your kids, surely. She's gone on holidays with the women and stuff. Exactly. And it just, he really seems to go up to a 10. I mean, obviously, he's always been like a Jersey guy, but just... I've never quite seen him when he like gets on the bus going to Vermont or something and he's like yeah I'm with all these women I'm gonna start lactating with my little titties because I'm such a little pussy hey it's like what shut up you're vile oh god are you okay but also you know his whole thing where he's just being like where he keeps saying how glad he is he's not a woman and he keeps being like Mm -hmm. well I'm glad I'm hanging one or whatever (laughs) and I'm like it's so funny because I feel like there was a there was some kind of survey a few years ago where something like 70% of women thought being a woman was harder than being a man, but like 80% of women would still rather be a woman than be a man. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, that makes it's sense, just, I get it. It just, 
it felt I didn't like I felt the show was doing quite a disservice in its platform and representation of women of all these scenes of kind of the women I, I know the show is always like women screaming at each other but sticking someone like Joe in there being a bit like shut up just shut up like you're all just screaming at each other like oh I wish I'd like yeah. I, I'd hate to be a woman I was like this is making me sad because it's implying this quite like yappy um I don't know I just suddenly felt a bit weird about the shows I think that what works brilliantly with the show is when it's giving older women in particular a platform to behave like that because the point is we don't let them often societally and I think Mm -hmm. the second you stick someone in there like undermining that by being like god you're all so annoying it's kind of tricky Mm -hmm. I just couldn't get over the thing he said about the you make crumbs and I bring home the cake I mean Obviously, it's a, it's such a rude, dismissive, horrible thing to say to the mother of your children and your life partner. But also, I feel really conflicted because part of me is like, this shop is a massive money pit that Joe Gorga is bankrolling. Of course! Like, it is essentially an expensive hobby. And I'm in complete shock and awe that it's still running. And Melissa is kind of annoying about... She's just very girl boss about the whole thing. And I feel like she really honestly has no clue how to run a business. But she quite likes the idea of, like... Like, like we were saying last season. With, like, with a little hard like, hat. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and being like, okay, you do this and you do this. And Joe, get out of here. Like, this is my world. Mm-mm. And thank you, Jesus. And it's just like, oh. Thank you, God. Jesus. Oh. Yeah, no, that is all true. I just think I found the energy of that scene quite odd when she came home and he immediately pulls her aside and it's just like a weird vibe. And I just remember mm-hmm. thinking, God, Joe Gork is actually becoming the kind of bad guy of this season. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because it's always, the, the theme has always been that out of the two Gorga siblings, Teresa is the one who's stuck in old school Italian exactly. ways. And she's unfeeling and unemotional. And Joe is like the more enlightened of the two exactly. and more modern. And so suddenly it feels like we're rewriting history in some way. And yeah, it's almost like the two Joes have changed roles in some way. And yeah. suddenly Joe Judice is becoming the really soft maternal one who's actually much more likable and sensitive. Exactly. What's happening? It's like, again, we're in the upside down. So... Mm-hmm. And then we also have Jacqueline back. And this Jacqueline Teresa journey of season seven, it's interesting. I've been thinking about what you said about how Teresa doesn't have the husband talking head support that the other women have. And mm-hmm. I think that her friendship with Jacqueline is so crucial to her likability on the show. Mm-hmm. Because I think when she's friends with Jacqueline, you can see what's likable about Teresa because you have this prism through which to see like the fun they have and the more tender moments. And there are moments in this series where I really believe in that friendship and I think it, it's worth saving. And I think that there's something lovely there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a real shame what happens because I was quite enjoying watching them being friends again. And I was so surprised after the dinner where Teresa goes round and they immediately fall out, like whilst Jacqueline's frying onions. I was quite surprised to see them make up again so mm-hmm. quickly and that was such a lovely thing and it's a shame the way it falls out I know I'm in two minds about it again if you can't tell this is like the I'm in two minds episode of the season <laughs> because I was genuinely happy to see them just having coffee again and then was genuinely really upset and sad to see them suddenly have a fight in the kitchen yeah. over the same thing all over again but then also 
on the other hand, there's a part of me, it's like, this is a spiritual successor to the constantly fighting with Joe Gorga, where it's like, oh my God, we cannot do this again. I cannot sit through all these therapy sessions trying to save a relationship between two people who fundamentally yeah. do not mix together. And I mean, I guess now I have to ask you, now you've seen most of the season, do you kind of get the common consensus that Jacqueline is sort of turned into a quote unquote crazy person and she cares too much? Or do you think it's a lot more nuanced um... than that? I think it is more nuanced than that. I think it's quite reductive to look at her and just think... I, I didn't like Teresa and Melissa's whole thing of just being like, she's crazy, like, she's wacky. Right. Like, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I think it so clearly comes from pain and hot take. I definitely think mm-hmm. Jacqueline is is going through the menopause. Oh. Or maybe some kind of pre-menopause. Yeah. But I definitely feel like there's something not right in terms of how emotional she is and I think she feels quite out of control and I think you really see it in how often she cries in her talking heads and about anything exactly and how often she cries about what's going on in other people's lives and some of her kind of not to a hundred moments and you see real regret there afterwards of I wish I'd there was a moment in one of the episodes I just watched where she was saying, I wish I just quietly got up and picked up my stuff and left. Where it's like, it doesn't mean she wasn't upset by what happens, but she regrets the heat of the moment and the emotion. But I think the reason it's unfair to just write her off as mad is, firstly, I do look at her and think she has more going on in her life than I think that the amount she cries over Nicholas, I don't think she should be on the show, really. I think, and and I think she talks about that in the book. In the Not All Diamonds and Rosé book, I think she, when interviewed, is like, I should have left the show when I left it because I only went back on to raise awareness about autism. They needed the money as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think she was like, I I just don't think I was in the right headspace to be on the show. And I agree. And it reminds me of, like with Taylor, when she stayed on a season longer than I think. Right. I don't think she was in the right headspace. But when you look at the, the, the argument that Teresa and Jacqueline have in the kitchen... Jacqueline never raises her voice. She never loses her temper. And she's being, when she's like, well, mine wasn't a criminal case. Like she's being quite collected about it and calm. And Teresa's the one who goes naught to a hundred and has the most like Teresa reaction of going into that like, ah, kind of mode. It's very like, wow, wow, yeah. wow, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Now you're crazy. Joe, we're leaving. <laughs> And what I don't like about the Vermont trip, the other reason I was going to say, I think Jacqueline's very clearly not in a good headspace. The whole thing of her slight paranoia of what people are saying, I think hints at oh God. a deeper thing. When they go to that really grim centre park yes. style swimming the pool. The one where and... like, you know you're going to get a Veruca from that. <laughs> it looks like, fucking he, awful. Like, yeah, you it's know like... you're going to get a fungal infection of some kind. Right. It's a really unfortunate symptom of Teresa's parole, meaning that she can't travel like a foot outside of New Jersey. It really limits the scope (laughs) and scale of where they can go on their group trip. So we've now gone from these like big family vacations to Italy and Costa Rica to them going to the world's worst inside outside swimming pool where Melissa Gorga is ordering like a frozen pina colada (laughs) and pretending that she's in Mexico trying to make it glamorous meanwhile like all the great and good of New Jersey are like running around behind her and yeah that's where Jacqueline is convinced that Melissa and Dolores are talking about her by the pool but the I think that that paranoia is definitely indicative of her not being in a good headspace Mm -hmm. On the Vermont trip, her argument with Robin, I'm with Jacqueline. 
in that argument. When Robin, I think Robin's being quite OTT in, I think it's such a ridiculous phrase about I'm going to rage on your ass. And I found it really funny, Jacqueline's response, because I think I would do something when she is like, rage on my ass. <laughs> and then when she sits on her, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And I think watching it, I thought, that Jacqueline potentially thought the tone of the scene was going to be played slightly differently. It's like, it's quite funny, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes more of an argument. But I think that that particular thing of her, like, sitting on her, got very twisted in the retelling, as if Jacqueline was, like, effectively, like, prompting a fight, Mm -hmm. which I don't think it reads as in the scene. I think the whole thing got very twisted, because I think, actually, Dolores and Siggy afterwards do a lot more harm than good by suggesting that Robin and her wife leave, because it's like... They put a lot of words in Jacqueline's mouth by saying that she felt threatened. Which she didn't say. Jacqueline, Jacqueline didn't. And then that gives... Teresa and Melissa the ammunition to say well if she sat on her lap she didn't feel that threatened it's like no 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 everyone's missing the point she didn't feel threatened and I don't think it was an escalation of the fight either it's just kind of Jacqueline, Jacqueline's a physical comedian. She loves to pretend that's to be asleep it. in a reunion. Yeah, that's or, it. You know. I feel like she was being zany. I think that mm-hmm. Jacqueline is quite mad in terms of like her humour so I mm-hmm. think they could accuse her of being bonkers for being like why did you sit on her in the middle of an argument? Right. But I think the way it got turned into like, no, she's like screwed up crazy, I think mm-hmm. is a really unfair misrepresentation. And that dinner, I just think, I think Siggy really hits on something when she's saying about like, she's hurting. I think she gets it bang on, which is that Jacqueline doesn't expect Teresa to come straight down on Robin's side. Mm-hmm. And even then, their argument would be nothing if it wasn't for this Melissa thing, which is what I just want to get into quickly now. Mm-hmm. I think it's so obvious that Melissa, maybe for the sake of the show, maybe for the sake of her own mental health or whatever, cannot go back to arguing with Teresa. And she knows that Teresa will only ever respond to like blind loyalty. Mm-hmm. And consequently, when Jacqueline says, did I, did I, or did I not warn you about the stripper thing? I think mm-hmm. Melissa's hesitation, Melissa's not answering is because she's like, well, if I say yes, then me and Teresa are going to fight again. Right. So who do I who do I care about not having a relationship right, right, with right. right now? And she chooses that she doesn't care to have a relationship with Jacqueline. And I think that that's why Jacqueline's so upset is she effectively knows that that's her buried in the ground. Yeah. Because they'll both go against her. But I think it's so unfair because I think Melissa's response and the things she says are effectively just like lies. The way that Completely. she does the whole thing of being like, you're yelling... A, it's like saying to someone who's all very, already very stressed, being like, oh, stressy, or like, oh, you're getting so angry, yeah. or whatever. It's like, she makes her worse. She then does this whole I don't remember thing, which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then she also turns it into like, you can't stand that we're close. Or whatever. I just hate the lack of ownership. It's so obvious. It's a really... I don't know. I, I, I tend to like Melissa in general, but sometimes... Mm. Sometimes it is just fun to just go on this fantasy that you have, even though you might not know it's completely true, but it's just like, it's like a compelling story to say in your head. And part of me does like to indulge this idea that Melissa's tried to initiate this mutiny against Teresa. It failed miserably. She's now working rather than trying to achieve supremacy. She's just trying to achieve survival. So her only tactical choice is to give Teresa her unwavering loyalty and support forever and ever. And eat her shit until the end of time, knowing full well that Teresa won't return the favour in the slightest. I think that that's 100% what happens in this season. 
Yeah. And I think that the extremity of Jacqueline's reaction is because she's like, oh my God, you're going to, you're going to do that. Part of me wonders whether Jacqueline, there's like a sense of, she's also blinded by her own rage or emotions or whatever, but I feel like there's partly a release of, you know, there's that common refrain in the Not All Housewives and Rosé book of like, we had to let this housewife go because they were just on an island by themselves and the relationship to the show was just irreparable. Yeah, I think she knows she's about to be on an island. And I feel like Jacqueline knew like, this is it. Teresa and I are never going to move forward. And now Melissa has now completely cast me out. I'm following in the same footsteps as Kathy and Rosie, which I want to talk about in a second. So it's like, fuck it. You're, and then just completely totally. loose about all her four nose jobs and everything. I think that's absolutely it. And I think the yeah. awful thing is that she kind of gives Melissa and Teresa exactly the ammunition they need to be like, yeah. wow, she's crazy. And Siggy and Dolores yeah. are there being like, we know exactly what this is, but you can't, it's kind of indefensible because that's quite a nuanced take and it's much easier to just look at who's shouting loudest and who's right like it is ridiculous and they have decided to team up and actually Teresa and Melissa as a team are kind of unstoppable and that's quite scary for the show because once they decide that they have each other's back no question they can just rewrite the narrative they can rewrite history it's completely like the winners rewrite the narrative isn't it and I feel like it's really stuck with Jacqueline now for like five seasons of Jacqueline being fairly normal and keyed down suddenly I feel like most people are like whoo Jacqueline's psycho she's like crazy ex-girlfriend and that's really stuck with her and it's just such a shame that that's the note that we end on with Jacqueline yeah Let's talk about Kathy and Rosie quickly. Oh my God. If we thought last season was a slow slide into obscurity <laughs> for Kathy, we haven't seen anything yet. They really picked up the baton from Kim G when it comes to just a really sad pursuit of a lunch with a main cast member who's just not that interested anymore. I know. Uh, so uh, don't get me wrong. It's lovely to see the house be finally built. However... <laughs> It's also really sad, kind of similar to what you were saying before about Kathy's surgery, where she was such a beautiful woman and you can't help but feel like all this plastic surgery Mm. has kind of done more harm than good to her face. And suddenly we get the same thing with the house where we always used to say like that was the house that we wanted to spend Christmas morning in. It used to be like a warm, cozy environment. It It was the only home and there was... That was love. And now it looks like all the other homes. Exactly. It's just sterile and cold. Totally. But it's bigger and grander and like, was it really worth it? And it's kind of not worth it because you have no family to bring over because you don't speak to your family anymore. There's just all these sad scenes of them hanging around. Also, there's something about that scene where they all come round and Melissa and Joe come over. The one where Joe Gorga's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah. The saddest thing about that scene is you think back to those lovely like festive scenes in the Wakili's kitchen with Melissa and Joe coming around and there was such warmth and such love and now it's like they've chosen their blind loyalty to Teresa anything that gets said in this quite cold kind of cavernous new home just gets passed immediately back and it does feel like Kathy and Rich at the end and Rosie are left like was it worth we kind of it's a bit of a soldier or soul to the devil thing but it's like they sold their soul to Bravo and they're left with this big empty house and each other and both of them kind of going grey and looking a bit sad and just as an island Mm -hmm. I just find that scene really sad it's just so lacking the warmth of of those earlier seasons and you can really feel that Joe and Melissa aren't there to be their friends anymore no it's a really sad shift I think it really is and and just to make clear that like the point is I think Joe and Melissa I think if the show didn't exist I think Joe and Melissa would be choosing Kathy and Rich to hang out with because you choose who you want to spend time with. But for the sake right. of the show, it feels like they're choosing Teresa and Joe. 
and it's right. really sad and Kathy and, mm-hmm. and Rich and Rosie just feel like they get caught in that crossfire and sort of left for garbage left for dead yeah 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 for garbage they talk about the final lunch meeting that Teresa and Joe have with Kathy and Rosie in the book and it's really sad how they describe it where Kathy and Rosie and Richie they were all flying out to Kathy's house in Florida and then as soon as they got settled in the house they got a call from the producers saying Teresa's finally ready to give you the time of day and talk to you so then they had to book a flight back to New Jersey oh that same day just to have Teresa say I want to cut the cancer out I'm going to cut the cancer out and they make a big thing about which I didn't, oh. never really thought about at the time well we're, we're not cancer oh, we're Teresa. not cancer no we're so. not cancer don't, don't say that Teresa but Kathy was saying again classic Teresa she probably didn't mean it but she's fucking inarticulate and chose completely the wrong word and all the stuff that she was going through with Victoria and the brain tumour it is mad that that doesn't come up more I find it really weird that Teresa is so obsessed with her own issues going on in her life but it never comes up that it's like how is Victoria right yeah it's always it is always made a bit like Kathy doesn't have problems when I just find it yeah it's so weird and I really agree with the thing Rich says when he's like the person who gets shat on it's not me it's not Rosie it's Kathy again and again and again and again yeah Um, just a perpetual sacrificial lap and it I just wish I could rewind the clock and just have another go on the show I I really do like I think the show really did nothing but bad things for Kathy like it just makes me sad I think it's that thing we we were talking about before where Teresa's very both holds a grudge but also has a very short attention span so she's only capable of having one or two grievances at a time Mm. and she I think in part with aligning with Melissa has decided that she hates Kathy and Melissa equally and i think she resents that both of them came on the show but she knows maybe for her own well-being or just to keep the show going she can't keep both of these going on at once so she has to transfer all that resentment from one of them fully onto the other one and she's decided kathy's just the most obviously wounded gazelle in the herd and she is gonna absolve melissa of all of her sins and just kick her and the wakilis off kick kathy and the wakilis off the show once and for all and it does it does just feel a bit religious, like she's sacrificing Kathy so Melissa shall not perish and have an eternal life on the show. The end of the lunch is so sad as well, oh. because the miscommunication of when Teresa says, yeah, of course, like we're still family, my door's always open. And then the second they leave the restaurant where she's like, I mean, I only said that because I'm just being polite or whatever. But where, that's the problem, isn't like, it? She's like, exactly. Oh. She's like the boy that won't just say like, I don't want to go out with you. That's always like, yeah, but you know, we'll let's get a drink next week or whatever. It's like, you can't, it's, uh, Teresa's so lacking in clarity. And then it's so weird, that whole bit when they're on the bus and Jacqueline's trying to explain that she's like, the point is that they didn't get the message. And Melissa's like shouting at her. And and Teresa's shouting, stop bringing up my family, where it's like, it's, ah, uh, it just, it's it immediately, this is the, the rabbit hole that I just can't uh, deal with. It's maddening. Teresa and this is what I family. said before about Teresa's reliance on cliches and platitudes. Like she just throws these things out that are completely meaningless, but still have meaning. And that's, and like Caroline gets a lot of flack for her selective definition of family. But I don't know how Teresa doesn't get the same. It's completely outrageous to say to your family totally. that you want to cut them out like cancer. And then two seconds later say, well, I mean, we're, you know, we're still family. Like we're, we're cousins, you know, when the door's always open. Yeah, it makes no sense. And I just maddening. find it very sad. I'm very, I'm very saddened by Joe Gorgo's 
yeah, trotting good, yeah. after Teresa, having spent all these seasons basically being like, Kathy and Rich are good people and I love them and I love Rosie and they're my family. And him sitting there basically to supervise Teresa cutting them out. And then when they leave the restaurant, like crying and being like, yeah, you did really good. And I'm yeah. just like, who are you? Yeah, and it really, I just lost so much respect for Joe Gorga. Yeah. Because I, at least I used to believe that their whole dynamic was that Joe was quite forward thinking and actually stood for like empathy and, and important stuff like that. And now I'm just like, oh, so once you guys are okay, you will hold the same standards as she does. And I and right. also drop the really good people around you. I just think it's so sad. Very sad. And it's also, of course, it's deeper than all of this. I mean, cutting your family out is very deep, but it's not just cutting your family out. It's essentially Teresa saying, you're fired from the show. Exactly. Your services are no longer required. Oh, how sad is that scene with Rosie trying to talk to Joe Giudice? I know. It's just... It's so cold. It's just heartbreaking. What did Rosie... Rosie didn't do anything. And it really feels like it ages her. Rosie, yeah. who's just... Feels like she's gone from being so loved by the public and so celebrated to just shunted to this side, like shuffling around, trying to share us. It's so strange. It's like everyone has told everyone to not talk to her. And I just find it heartbreaking. Yeah. In the Not All Diamonds and Rosé book, sorry, last time I'm going to talk about this book, <laughs> Rosie was saying that Kathy made her promise not to get angry at this lunch with Teresa. And then when Teresa said the cut the cancer out thing, there's this bit in the book where Rosie's like, it took everything in me not to beat the piss out of that bitch. And I was kind of like, I sort of wish you did. I kind of yeah. wish that both of you... They just took it. It was so weird. The, the show doesn't reward class. I kind of wish that Kathy's swan song on the show was for once stepping up and being like a real housewife and telling Teresa to go fuck herself. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Mm. I quite mm. simply, I simply couldn't. So I think that we should save maybe kind of finishing off talking about Vermont until next week because I feel like I need yes. to see the aftermath and the reunion in order to talk about it. So how about a season set part de? I'm always up for a part de. Me too. C'est bon. Thank you for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. Make sure to click subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, we would really appreciate a rating or if you'd simply tell your friends about the show, that would help us out enormously. Thank you for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.